This podcast was recorded live in London at the ICAD conference. I'm Aaron Huey. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I had a young man contact me recently uh, who's been on this show before. His name's Caleb. The, the name of the podcast is Jails, Institutions, and Death. Uh, Caleb was a student of mine. He's still a, 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 we still stay in contact. We have for many, many years. He was a student a long time ago. I'm, I'm so happy to celebrate Caleb's sobriety with him. Um, he had a horrible tragedy of his brother uh, killing himself because of meth. But, but Caleb called me the other day in an utter panic. He called me from the hospital, and he had a had had a skateboard accident. Doesn't remember it, so you know there was a head injury involved somewhere. And in his injurious state, um, he had said yes to getting some pain relief in the hospital, and he utterly freaked out as soon as they gave it to him. And he called me on the phone, and he was in hysterics. He was inconsolable mm -hmm. because he felt the way he felt when he was high. And it terrified him, because he's worked so hard for his sobriety and his drug use had cost him so much. So you work with uh, uh, people who are in a, a, a pretty intense level of pain um, and have been struggling with addiction. You said something to me off the air about pain and addiction. Talk about that for a second. Well, uh, as an addiction specialist, the program that we started <coughs> was primarily uh, to treat people who had addiction and who had pain and both conditions, one sort of exacerbated the other. A lot of the people that we've ended up treating over the years have had pain primarily, gone to the doctor, gotten prescriptions, not unlike Caleb, and started them pretty innocently and before they knew it they were off and running. Now the good news about Caleb is he's very on high alert uh, and, and watchful for the potential problems that develop. You and I know that's not enough. No, I mean, it's he, definitely he can not. still get in trouble. That's the beginning, not yes, the end. It could be. But, but for the people that I'm talking about, these are, you know, people who have grown up with no drug problems, who injured themselves, who went to the doctor, who got a prescription. Prescription works, you know, for a while, and then it stops working. And at that point, in our medical system in the States, we're just increasing the dose of the medication using more potent medications, and then we have a, a real mess with people physically dependent on an opioid. Why is this happening? How come doctors, and you're a doctor, you're, you're a family practitioner, MD, um, why, if doctors know this, what is it about handing out pills? In our country, you're from Vegas, I'm from Colorado, we're hiding from that place in London. Uh, what is it about doctors and the medical industry that has promoted this giving out pills thing? We know what's going on. We're seeing it and treating it. Why are we still handing out pills? Well, you know, the, the, the problem has evolved almost like, uh, in a very subtle way. You know, you put a 
frog in boiling water, it jumps out. You put a frog in cold water and turn up the heat slowly, it boils to death. It just doesn't know. And that's kind of the way the opiate epidemic has, has evolved. Doctors, look, you go to the doctor, what do you want? You want something. You want them to fix you. You want them to treat you. You want them to make you better. We want relief you have a from cold. pain. Yeah, you have a cold, you want an antibiotic. You have pain. Now, what do I have as a doctor? Well, I don't have that much, you know, and if I'm not on alert, the most logical thing is to give you an opioid. And unfortunately, well-meaning physicians have grown up in an environment where they believe that's a good idea. Partly they believe that because the pharmaceutical industry has influenced doctors' beliefs, doctors' understanding of pain treatment. They pretty much convince the medical profession, if you can believe that, with lots of dollars, that the right thing to do for somebody like Caleb is to give him as much medicine as possible, as long as he needs it, increase the dose if it's not working, and you can't get addicted if you're taking it for pain. I mean, what kind of nonsense is that? As a doctor, do you believe that the medical industry and the insurance industry because this the complaint we hear is insurance companies just want you sick because that's how they make money now as a medical doctor as a as a man who runs a facility my father was a a, a mental uh, 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 not a mental health a uh, uh, health uh, healthcare administrator was the ceo of longmont united hospital mm -hmm. I've, I've been around doctors my whole life i've never known one who wants to keep a patient sick now my company works with insurance companies, you work with insurance companies, hospitals work in it with insurance companies. Keeping someone sick is not what any doctor or any hospital wants to do. However, why are we not promoting the ounces of prevention, yoga, breath work, uh, nature walks, this pound of cure that is so expensive, these pills are not cheap. Why? Well, the, the, the easiest answer is, for an insurance company, an opiate is probably a cheaper way to go than paying for physical therapy on a chronic basis. Paying for a chiropractor for, on a chronic basis. Paying, you know, a yoga instructor is probably a, a less expensive way to go, but, you know, we're in that, you said the medical industry, it's like the medical pharmaceutical industry, you yeah. know? I mean, the medical profession is driven, and I have to tell you, the, the patient comes to the doctor with a, a desire to be out of pain, an unrealistic desire, because yeah. you and I know life is pain. Life is pain, and, so, and getting past the pain is a lot of work. It, you know, leaning into it, you know, things that, yeah, that we, we like learn that. in the recovery process, most Americans do not know. I think that we really, as an American culture, want to be pain-free, and we'll go to any lengths to get pain-free. We'll doctor shop. Or go to the, you know, yeah, and we'll accept a prescription, and we'll think that's a good solution. You know, we won't pay attention to the signs that, gee, you know, I'm taking this drug, and it, rather than making me better, it's making me worse. You know, we don't, we don't pay attention to that. We know for a little bit of time, I take the pill, and I feel pretty good because it hits the spot in the brain where we feel pretty good. It's, it's what it's for, sure, sure. Yeah, and feeling pretty good seems to be good enough in the moment, and we just miss the big picture, like the frog. Yeah. So I don't think there was a whole lot of intent 
on the part of physicians to make this happen or patients to allow this to happen. Big Pharma, you know, they're on the hook and they're, they're going to be on the hook. They're, they're, it's happening in the states yeah, right now. We're watching the lawsuits yeah, and the big lawsuits. One settlement with Purdue in the state right. of Oklahoma. Um, their there's their their time has come, just like big tobacco. Now on the flip side of that, I don't know if I would have made it without Ritalin. And Ritalin is a harsh drug. Yeah, I was put on it as a young kid. It was it was in the 70s when. You know, it started out, I'm sure I was one of the early kids in my small town in Colorado that started on Ritalin as a test and was on it till about the age of 23. I don't know if I'd have made it without it. I, I don't know if you would have made it. I think even that in our culture seems to be a good solution for most behavior problems in, in young men and yeah, women yeah. when there's a lot of other ways to deal with behavior problems like teaching them differently and paying different kinds of attention to them and exercising with them. So, you know, the specifics of certain people's learning abilities and the effect of Ritalin on, on that ability, sure, sure. certainly it's a helpful adjunct in some people. The deal is it's probably a whole lot less people than actually end up on it. Right, of course. And now you know what's happening in our colleges. Ritalin is the, the primary drug, Ritalin or Adderall, it's to help it, them study. In the high schools, in the junior highs, yeah. we see it. So, yeah. okay, so so you've made it clear you understand both sides of this as an MD, but you're also practicing uh, this, this kind of treatment in a facility. Mm -hmm. um, you guys are in Vegas. What facility are you with? It's the Las Vegas Recovery Center. Okay, so now you're working with a lot of people on pain, yes. in pain. You you were talking about you know the taking someone with ADHD and, and spending the time to exercise with them yes. to get the the brain yes. talking to itself That's again it. yep. right uh, um, and I and I try to tell parents look I love my ADHD now because I. I, I'm getting everything that's going on in this room, not just this conversation, yeah. but all things equal in my brain, right? And it's not a curse, it's a blessing for yeah. me in my life. Yeah. Um, but it's not a blessing for a child in school. Pain, while pain makes us feel alive and we can come up with all those wonderful metaphors about pain, when you've got to get someone out of pain and pills are fast, when you've got to get someone off of addiction, and methadone and, and uh, suboxone are ways that we can give them a break from these cravings so that they can get, where do these, where do you in your work in Vegas, where does this, where does this gray area connect for you? So, you know, we're of the belief that optimal living happens with a brain that doesn't contain mood-altering drugs. So, you know, optimally, you wouldn't need Ritalin to function, and you, you're there today. Optimally, you wouldn't need methadone or Suboxone to function. Now, you and I know that without Suboxone, there are people that are going out and dying. So, we, if you're dead, my theory is out the window. But what we do with people with chronic pain is we take them off their opioids, Typically, they're on high doses of opioids, you know, oxycontin, 80 milligrams three times a day, and oxycodone, the short-acting medicine, six times a day. You put those in combination, and what happens is 
that person on the opioid is in more pain than they would be off the opioid. So we found that very clearly. The phenomenon is called opiate-induced hyperalgesia, more pain on opioids than off. So for that patient, bringing them down in dose optimally or getting them off the opioid enables their brain to heal in a way that it didn't it was unable while they were taking the medication. Now do you guys work with you know this it if someone comes in and they're doing this and, and what you were talking about it, you know six times a day taking something that potent, crazy dose nuts yeah nuts but common for us I mean the, the the numbers I gave you were pretty average for us truly. I mean, this, this goes back to the beginning of our conversation to ask what doctor is prescribing this? Or are you dealing with clients who are getting it illegally now no, as well, too? No, legal docs. I mean, we, we see people, you know, an older person who's had four or five back surgeries. Uh, they have a, one doctor typically, and the doctor believes that myth that you just keep going up in dose the, the more pain the patient is in. and the, the government, CDC, actually put out guidelines to suggest that the dose should be brought down. And the, the pushback against those guidelines is astronomical. I mean, there, there's right now in the states, there's a battle between patients who want more drugs because they feel worse on less drugs and the medical profession who's listening to the CDC that says, keep the dose down because higher doses are causing overdoses and causing more problems with side effects. So I just got a new doctor. I'm with Kaiser. I'm, I'm quite frankly, I have to say I'm enjoying my experience. I, I, you know, Kaiser does not have the best. Yes, healthy people do well with them. <laughs> I'm doing okay with them. Good. Like, like, I like Kaiser. I, I, got, I got a new doc. And I found myself, uh, the moment he walked in the door, he's like, you know, I'm Dr. So-and-so, what's your name? I'm like, I'm Aaron and I'm an addict. Mm -hmm. And I need you to know that. Yeah. I need, I need you to know that if I come to you and ask for pain medication, that we have to have a deeper conversation. Now I'm practicing that. I've had a back surgery, yeah. had a laser discectomy. While I was in the hospital in Sweden, they said that I had no relief. I had nothing, and they said we're gonna hit, we're gonna stick this in your bag, and we're gonna send some home with you. And they said you're not sending it home with me. You're giving it to my wife. Yeah. Do not give it to me. Yeah. Because it was literally when they hit hit it in my bag. Something happened. My brain said I got to figure out how to get more well, from my wife. Your brain can't tell whether it's heroin or morphine coming from the doctor, the pharmacy, or the dealer. It was just, oh, this feels great. Yeah. Get more. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's the disease of addiction that says more. When I told them the reason why I wanted to give it to my wife, yeah. they said, we're only going to give you five. My brain then went to all the ways that I could figure out more. how to get more. Yeah. Like, so this is what you're seeing on a daily basis. This is not new to you. No, 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 not at all. But again, you know, let's go back to Caleb. Yeah. Know, we know that if Caleb, actually if anybody was on an opioid for 10 days, 10 days of an acute, so you, get, you sprain your ankle, you get 30 lore tabs from the emergency room. If you're on them at 10 days, there's a 20% chance you'll be on them a year later. Are you joking? I swear to God. If you're on them for 30 days, which is a not an atypical prescription in the States, you'll be on, there's a 20% chance you'll be on them at three years, 30 days, likelihood that you'll be on them at three years so 
the beginning of dependence is the first prescription from the emergency we're, room. We're talking to parents right now yeah. whose kid have had a skateboard accident, a snowboard accident, and you're saying a visit to the emergency room and you, you get a 10-day supply. If they do. You know, yeah. and in the States, the CDC is discouraging. They say basically three days should be enough. It should never prescribe more than seven days worth of medication. And then they want you on ibuprofen or Tylenol. Yeah, or even at the beginning, ibuprofen and Tylenol. I had a patient, you know what he said to me? That ibuprofen, all it did was take the pain away. <laughs> so if you're what? looking for an opioid effect, subtly, unconsciously, you will be disappointed with good pain relief. On the other hand, if you stay clear of opioids and you don't wake up the beast, so to say, yeah. that you were describing, then ibuprofen is, is equally potent with Lortens. This is incredible because if we're, if we're talking about that the emergency room, let's, let's say with the best interest in mind to get your child out of pain who's just busted their arm, collarbone, and gotten a head injury, yeah. has given you 10 days worth, that these parents need to know you've just increased the potential for addiction by 20%. Well, yeah, I mean, the potential that they're going to be on them in a year. In a year. Yep, yep. So the, 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 the lesson there is don't take them for long. And the facts, the studies actually show that even with broken bones, even with post-operatively, yeah. the amount of opioids that people take is way lower than we're thinking they need. And... You know, one of the other things is certain people have a lower tolerance for pain, so they end up taking more medication. But it should be individualized, and we should be way more cautious taking opioids, even with an acute setting. And in the chronic setting, my belief is that they should really hardly ever, if ever, be used. Okay, so now we've got a client who's in pain. Mm -hmm. They've They've... And, and this is what, what parents are fearing. I know as I'm talking and you're talking, I'm, I'm hearing my parents' sure. heads saying, okay, the next time we go to the dentist, the next time we go to the doctor, right. I'm going to say only give three days, if any at all. Yes. Um, but parents also don't want their kids in pain. Parents need to know if they've got a cabinet filled with oxy cotton and codone, it needs it's to going go. Going to the kid, it yeah. needs to, It's going to the kid knows too. That's right. Um, it needs to go away. It needs That's to be right. tossed out appropriately. So now, what are the alternatives that this parent can do with this child in pain or themselves in pain? Sure. And they're recognizing issues sure. coming up. So you mentioned ibuprofen, you yeah, know, yeah, a, yeah. a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medicine. I, I want to interrupt and remind parents, we're talking to a doctor here. I'm talking to an MD here. So mm -hmm. this is not an opinion of someone who's been working in addiction. This is a doctor's opinion. And we can say that. I'm really thankful for that. Good. So ibuprofen or a drug like that, there's a naproxen or even aspirin has pain efficacy. Is naproxen a dangerous addictive no. substance? No. Okay. And NSAIDs. What's the other one that's, that starts with an N that is? I don't know. Tramadol is tramadol. Yeah, that's that's the one. That's with a T, not an N. <laughs> Sorry, Here's my Aaron. problem. No, but when I'm like when I'm over yes. when I've been overseas and have problems, they've given me tramadol, that, tramadol and I've been like, is the drug of choice for opiate addicts in, in the UK, where, where we're speaking from. Okay. I spoke to one of the psychiatrists who works in addiction here, and tramadol is the is the problem drug. They don't have 
the same kinds of problems with the oxy drugs like we do, but here, got problems, tramadol problems. has some real potential for, for addiction. Okay, so we can go back to naproxen, ibuprofen, or acetaminophen, Tylenol. Or any of the other NSAIDs. There's probably five or six others that and NC NSAID. NSAID. Which is non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. Okay. So it's ibuprofen is as good as any, really and truly. That can be used in combination with Tylenol or acetaminophen products. Not so at the same time, but they or. can overlap. Either or. Okay. You could take two and two if you want at the same time. Got it. Or you could take two and then two hours later take two of the other and they two hours later take two of the others. Okay. You want to watch the maximum dose. You don't want to go over 3,000 milligrams of acetaminophen, 3,000 milligrams because it can cause problems with the liver. But that's a pretty hefty dose of, of Tylenol. Okay. Um, range of motion, it depends what the pain is from, but, you know, range of motion and ice and heat all increase circulation and are beneficial for a, a sprain. It's hard to know which is which for, because... Ice or heat? Yeah, because yeah, whichever I... Whichever feels better. I, <laughs> I, but, but I had just, I had been sitting in a hot springs yes. and I had a bulging disc. Yes. This was last week. Yeah, oh. Went to the chiropractor, they popped me back in, they said, ice not heat. And I put ice on it, and sure enough, the discomfort of having ice at the time was bad, but afterwards I felt much better. Better. Where heat during felt better, but afterwards it didn't. There's no science to that. I mean, basically, if you heat something up, it swells Expands. more. So, you know, theoretically, if you have a lot of swelling, you want to ice something. Which is why they told me to ice it. And sometimes you alternate ice and heat. So what I do with our patients, especially with chronic pain, yeah. use what feels best. You okay. know, if I tell you to try ice and it makes you worse, well, then don't try ice. You know? <laughs> People don't. Don't do that. Be, being a doctor or a lawyer, yes. you, you, you start to get that, that experience where it's like, I don't know if I should question them. <laughs> well, question. Always question your doctor. That's, that's, the, that's the answer. But because we don't know everything. And. I'm an expert in a, in, in a lot of things about addiction and pain, but you're an expert in you, Aaron. I can't tell you what's going to happen to you and your body. So you and I should be in a partnership discussing what's happening, getting feedback. Oh, I tried this. This didn't work out. Well, then certainly don't do that. Try a different system. Yeah. Now, let me tell you something else. In terms of pain, not so much with an acute problem, but with chronic pain, exercise mobilization doesn't feel good you know you have a sore shoulder right right it feels right. worse to, to stretch it but it's good for you to stretch it and we differentiate hurt from harm uh, is something hurtful or harmful and that's one of the reasons to get to a physical therapist who really understands body mechanics who can work out with you and say no this is something that's good for you that really isn't good for you well let's let's talk as we wrap up here let's talk uh, as a final piece to parents about the signs to look for when it's gone from pain management over to something else. Like their, their kid's sure. skateboard accident, three days they've had a little bit of oxy, now they're on ibuprofen and they're saying, I think I need, like, where are the red flags? Uh, the red flags is I think I need. <laughs> that would make me very red, it would make me very anxious. You know, now, if there's increasing pain, then a, then a doc should take a look and make sure that you know, there's not a fracture in a place that I thought was sprained. So you know, increased pain may be a sign that the, the body is saying something's worse, wrong. But if that is 
you know, if you check it out in a doctor's office with a with a test, an appropriate exam, that increased pain has to be responded to with no, you're not getting any more opioids. Can you help parents? I said the last one was the final, but this one needs to be the final. Um, my my son was in a skateboard yet again accident back in the day. No, no, no. I'm sorry. This was getting his appendix out. That's right. He had he had, mm -hmm. he had an emergency mm -hmm. one, and uh, was coming to, and the doctors kept pushing. Sure. They wanted him on on Tylenol with codeine. They wanted him on this and that. My wife kept having to advocate. Kept having to advocate. The pushback was pretty intense. Yes. Uh, this was in an emergency room yes. type situation. Help parents advocate. What do they need to say to a doctor so that the doctor goes, oh, wait, this kid might be struggling with some stuff at home? You know, I don't know that <laughs> it would be great if parents could educate doctors, but I think the better, the better expenditure of energy is to say, thank you, doctor, I'll take this prescription, hold on to it, just like your wife held on to yours, and don't dispense it uh, more than for three days. Uh, and keep a limited dispensing. The, the study that I mentioned actually showed people took one, maybe two pills of, a, of an opioid and then they didn't take any more. So, you know, you don't even have to take a full three days worth necessarily. And if a parent really wants control of the process, I think having a, a hold on those medications is probably the safest thing. If parents are afraid of the level of their kid's pain, if the kid's still complaining. Bring them to a good doc. That's it. Somebody Go who, back. who's going to listen, who's going to pay close attention, who's going to be mindful of the fact that, that pills aren't a great solution in the long run. You know, if the pain is so great, we got to find an explanation for why that isn't a, young, a youngster. And you, as I said, you could have a broken bone that was not shown up in the first exam that, that will show up in a, in a, in a follow-up x-ray. We had an MD working at our facility for a long time. The benefit to that was that she was looking at the whole system, sure. not just, you sure. know, we have a wonderful psychiatrist now who's, who does the exact same thing. Yeah. But as an MD, she was really, she was seeing what was going on in the gut, what was going on. Sure. That's, that's a big deal. You know, our bodies are very complex and youngsters are growing. I mean, I think we have to pay attention to what they say, not blow them off and say, no, 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 you're imagining it. And what we'll find, kids are resilient. You know, most kids are not going to want to stay on these pills. If the kid has addiction and has been clean like Caleb, it's, you know, red alert all through the use of, of these opioids. Because just as you described, Aaron, the, the drug talks to your brain. There's no logic, there's no reason, there's no uh, appropriate behavior that we can rely on. So we have to do our best to keep that dose minimal, monitor the dose, and get, get the person off the dose as soon as possible. Great. Doc, thank you so much for all of this. This was great. I know there was a lot of wealth for the parents Good, I hope so. on the show. Caleb, I know you're going to listen to the show because I'm going to make you. I love you, man. I'm so proud that you called me from the hospital. Yeah, that's e great. Even though you were completely uh, uh, <laughs> un... I, I, I wasn't able whacked. to reach you in that moment. You were <laughs> whacked out of your mind. 
but it mattered and that's how I knew you were going to be okay. It mattered enough that you asked your mom to call and uh, talking to your mom, talking to you, Caleb, really proud of you, man. Got your back. Doc, thanks again. Okay. Where can people find you and get their loved ones to you guys? LasVegasRecovery.com is the website. Uh, 702-515-1373. It's the Las Vegas Recovery Center. Do you do any telehealth work with, with individuals? Are you still seeing individual clients? I, I see uh, limited. I'm mostly traveling around okay. teaching. But if somebody needs to reach me, I'll always talk to you. And how, what's the best way to reach you? 702-515-1373. It's Dr. Mel Pohl. And just ask for me and they'll steer you along and, and get get your question answered. Dr. Paul, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Great show. Thank you so much. Thanks. This podcast was sponsored by the International Conference of Addiction and Associated Disorders and always supported by Mental Health News Radio and brought to you by Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center. Thanks so much for listening. Parents, remember, you take care of yourselves first. You take care of your adult relationships second, and you take care of your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our children. All my love to Kristen Walker, the boss goddess at Mental Health News Radio Network. Please check out all of our shows at Mental Health News Radio Network at mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com. You can find me on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all the social media platforms. You can email me at Aaron at FireMountainPrograms.com. If you have any questions about your child and need of treatment, please contact Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center at 303-443-3343, extension 204. The assessment and that phone call is free. Thanks so much for listening, and thank you parents for making Beyond Risk and Back the number one parenting podcast in Colorado. We'll see you next week.